You're listening to the School of Movies podcast, episode 131, originally recorded 24th of April 2014, Fantasia. Okay, so picture the scene. It's 1940, February, and Pinocchio's just come out. Now in November, less than a year later, Fantasia. Another extremely expensive production comes out and it's Walt Disney deciding, right, we are going to give people a whole new cinematic experience. They will be able to see music and hear pictures. And he was just basically, he was trying to create something brand new and experimental and it kind of worked, but it was not anywhere near as lucrative in the returns to begin with. And it's a kind of a troubling film to actually watch, even to this day. Challenging is the best way of putting it, the most complimentary I've heard it. This is why I love Walt Disney just as a guy. It's like I love his pure, gutsy ambition. Like, even when his, his gambles don't pay off as often as they do, but like, just okay, so he's on the heels of a really incredibly successful but super risky venture that was snow white mm-hmm. and then he decided oh, and he's got an even more expensive like much more expensive follow-up film in the works and he decides that now for film three is the perfect time to do something completely different <laughs> really <laughs> artsy innovative super expensive that they have to build they have to invent and build entirely new sound systems for theaters for this yeah. movie to work most that, like, theaters of which were not able to actually support was it fanta sound or something like that yeah so i think that's what it was called is just abs- like he's not content to settle in with like all right I did it <laughs> like we- he's he decides that let's go ahead and spend tons and tons of money on a new risky thing mm. it's like I experimental would love to- and expensive that's those two very rarely come together in a very successful way yeah like and I mean Walt is all about and you can really see it in this one creating an experience like it is no surprise to me that this guy went on to make theme parks mm. I would oh, yeah. have loved to see what Disney would have made of video games if he was alive when they were around have you ever actually he, sat and watched him talk about Epcot and what he wanted that to be I've seen heard bits and pieces I've like not ever looked into it too deep uh, well basically uh, bits of Walt Disney ended up inside Tony Stark and oh very much well, by way of Howard Stark and, and of course Howard Hughes is in there as well but the idea of being able to see the future and visualise that uh, it, it takes somebody with a peculiar drive by all accounts and let's call him on, on, on this he doesn't sound like the nicest person no but <laughs> it, he was absolutely the, what Disney Studios required to get them off to a flying start yeah, definitely the visionary type and bold enough to actually act on it and throw a ton of money at something if he thought it could work. Yeah. So what what do you like about Fantasia itself, Dan? I mean, it is technically very impressive and beautiful in a lot of ways. And it is a very different kind of experience. It's much more highbrow attempted. Like he's trying to make a higher level of art with the out of animation here, which I love that he was bold enough to try to do so early on. And there's a lot of like creative technical tricks that I think they had to figure out for this film that would come in very handy later on. But in the end, on the whole, I have a hard time sitting through the entire thing as much as I do like it. As much as you can say about the good stuff, you're already on the bad. I'm going to just be like, just 
just I'm just admitting it. Like there's lots of individual segments and uh, sequences in Fantasia that I just love, and it's still just really. Do you want to highlight them specifically? Because we need some specificity at this point. Like the uh, like the whole, all the different pieces of the Nutcracker Suite are just absolutely beautiful and technically pretty, quite impressive as well with the effects animation that they did. So the, the, uh, the thistles and the um, mushrooms and the yeah, yeah, the uh, and the fairies kind of like changing of seasons, all the, that. Uh, was it with the sexy fish? But other uh, the, the sexy fish. Yes, were in se- the sexy suite. fish was in the Nutcracker Suite as well. <laughs> the, the uh, I mean the. Sorcerer's Apprentice features a complete reinvention of how Mickey Mouse Mouse's design looks. Yeah, and, 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 uh, big, until Fantasia, folks, Mickey Mouse had these sort of blank black pupil eyes, and he just had this sort of like really super like happy face. I think it was mostly white, and then the yeah, it was, basically Fantasia gave him the sort of the more fleshy toned face, the white eyes with the black pupils, and thus much more expressiveness. Yeah, and and I can still I will watch the entire thing through and be just thinking the whole time is wow, looking at that and just the craft on display and just some of the beautiful imagery and just and and the music as well. Just very, it's a very interesting and uh, stimulating oh, well, experience. So it's interesting. That's Sorry, one of uh, the no-nos. Right. Oh, that's show. right. It's, a, it's just a fascinating. Uh, no, sure. that's just another way of saying interesting. If you are running out of the words, sin of using the tone interesting. <laughs> It's just a great experience overall, which is what he was trying to create. Just a really new kind of experience that someone could go into a theater and hear hear the music, not just coming from kind of a tinny mono speaker behind the behind the screen, but actually make it sound like the symphony is actually right there with you. Like this was almost more this was more for music people almost than for visual people. Like it's to help the visual people experience and appreciate symphony the way people who would just go to a symphony on like anyway just the helping them to appreciate it the same way they do and i think it's successful in that regard like i I think it's very like i really appreciate what he was trying to do and i enjoy it just in a technical sense but in terms of just as a viewer like coming back to it i'm always very very into it until around the halfway point where it just starts my attention just starts to drift and it's always usually the rite of spring that starts losing me. Interesting, because that's one of my favorite bits of it. But as soon as the water spring's done, it's like, oh, another hour. Yeah, and, it's yeah. it is a long film too. That's the other thing. It's at it's least two, two hours. hours and five minutes, and it is a butt numbing two hours and five minutes. Didn't they make it make them cut it down for um, for later minutes. release? They slashed it down to eighty four minutes. Later releases did definitely kind of strip some stuff down and and cut out maybe the uh, inter. The little interstitial sequences with As the guy the, the talking. talking about the music before it happened. That might yeah. actually be a big thing about it because he's explaining the technical side, and it's supposed to be like sort of like drawing you in, but it it seems like a lecture. Well, there's plenty of people who like the sound of a sound wave. Well, there's if, if you look over here, then there's it's it's just so stilted. It it, it remi- I feel like I'm being taught, and nobody engages when they feel far too much like they're being uh, they're. Be- someone's attempting to teach them something yeah i think that's borrowed from sorry i think that's borrowed from like if i'm not mistaken that's how symphonies were often handled there would be a person who would kind of be doing some speaking between the different pieces so like i can understand why that would be brought in but like fantasia as a whole like it is in terms of just raw like interest level and engagement and appealing to people it is it is much easier to let for your 
attention to drift. It does not keep you like locked in and focused nearly as much as later type releases would be. I think Fantasia 2000 kind of attempted to address that as well, like by trying to be much more engaging minute to minute and tell a lot more stories rather than kind of general imagery tales and things like that. I think a way that I would absolutely love to see this, because I have to say I adore Fantasia. I, it's one of my favorite Disney's. Um, and I don't know whether that's to do with the fact that, uh, to put it in context, I was given the VHS when I was about 12 or 13, something like that. This was what got me into classical music. Um, and if I had the opportunity to watch it in the same setup as, you know how they do the, the video game music concerts? Yeah. Where they have an actual orchestra playing the music and then you have that the visuals up awesome. on the screen. That would be amazing, having a, having the music actually live um, and then the visuals on in the background. Um, it, it's quite hard for me to choose my favourite segment because there are so many of these that I love. Um, but uh, I would say probably either um, the Nutcracker Suite one, I adore, uh, and also the Pastoral Symphony, which I know oh, yeah. sets your teeth on edge, Alex. I like that one too. So. <laughs> Centaurs. It is the centaurs. I mean, I, I I was was and still am very big into uh, Greek and Roman myth and and the imagery that that it was using that was kind of synced up with that really really clicked for me. Yes, a lot of it is is very simplistic and very saccharine, but for some reason that I find it very difficult to put my finger on, it just works for me. I like abstract. Um, I like abstract poetry, I like abstract art, and this was, for me, one of the first times I'd seen abstract film. Um, so it really appealed to me on that basis, too. I really appre still appreciate Fantasia as well. Just like I, I, I remember being a kid and having the VHS as well, I think being sick at home and basically like watching this on loop practically for a day. I don't... Maybe I was delirious or something, but <laughs> I... You would be after watching it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was just super into it. And I still, like, every time I get the chance, like, I'm always happy to sit down and watch it again, even though I know I'm gonna, my attention's going to kind of start drifting kind of toward the halfway point. And by the time we get to Night on Bald Mountain, I will definitely be enjoying it. But then as soon as it starts getting to the Ave Maria, then I'll start, just, oh, come on. <laughs> it's like, finish. finish. hell is more interesting than heaven. That's just, well, it's, and it's also just one long, slow panning shot of lights, which is very beautiful, but it, it, it goes on for like at least five minutes. And I know now that like technically that would have been a nightmare to create. That would have been like it took them ten, days to film it. Apparently. Yeah. Ten guys with a multiplane camera going like just frame by frame, o like over and over for days on end. And it screwed up like two or three times and they had to start over t to oh. the point where they were just sleeping in there for like, and it, they had like a few days before the premiere to get it done and they were like i know like technically i know that was a nightmare to create but still like just in terms of engagement just as a film i definitely it does definitely lose me at a certain point i love the symbolic use of Strav stravinsky himself uh, um the the guy who did the rider spring uh the the dinosaur bit folks um when this was originally uh played to the public there were riots because people were expecting a nice symphony you could listen to like the pastoral symphony and go ah oh, this is nice and sweet and blah 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 but what instead it's discordant and it does things that you wouldn't expect and it eventually it challenged people so much that they got up in their top hats and started kicking the crap out of each other and the, 
but it, it, it parallels with today's Twitter society of, of elitism as well because there were a lot of sort of the, uh, uh, the, the bohemians in the audience who were like yes we've come here to see something that's really challenging and then they were getting it was, it was almost like these two parts of the audience were arguing with each other over the music itself and kind of ignoring what was going on hmm that's oddly relevant and uh, the, the, the fact that, they, that Walt actually had the balls to use uh, Stravinsky while the guy was still alive and able to complain about it um, and actually put something that challenging in the movie just sort of it, it lays down look this is what we're going to uh, be doing Walt even wanted to finish on that one so sort of leave everyone like with the world basically being destroyed and devoid of life and right that's your lot Catch you guys later. Come back and see Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, it they was... said, no, make it the end of the first act instead. It was originally not intended to finish on the, the destruction of everything, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, well, it was supposed it was to be something on. else. It was going to be the, the, the stage of the bringing man into the world. Mm. But uh, I think that that section went on for long enough as it was, and it made more sense to... I mean, as it is, that was hugely influential on well, for a start it was the first proper dinosaurs rendered on screen in a serious way I mean there was uh, like one of the first animations ever is Nelly the dinosaur but this was sustained and it was showing them in their own environment albeit like completely scientifically inaccurate in terms of like the Stegosaurus and the T-Rex never fought because they were like 16 million years apart um, <laughs> but it's it's not like the Flintstones they they portray it at least as a relatively coherent world and that is at least able to uh, have a major influence on textbooks and, and the, the the way that dinosaurs were seen and the the way that ever it starts off with this very apologetic this is what science believes and is believed by some other people don't want to offend anybody and that's why they stopped after the dinosaurs bit because they yeah. that if we carry on and go into the evolution of man then we're going to upset a lot of people who are like, nope. Yeah, that would have... Uh, the film failed enough as it is. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, of these five, it's... Before we get to the, the, the wartime ones, it's it's my least favourite, definitely, because even though I don't like Snow White, it is at least short. Um, but Fantasia, if, if you actually have to sit me down to watch that thing, I have to kiss goodbye to a big old chunk of the day. It is definitely long, and I, I more kind of appreciate it, just what it is and represents, and that I appreciate that it exists and so early on in animation feature history, but it, it's definitely not the first Disney film that I will go to when I want to watch a Disney film. Had it been successful, they were going to do more of them repeatedly every few years. They were going to sort of add to this library of Fantasia. And that's um, kind of, I think it might have been more interesting in that way, too, just as like as an experience, which is what Walt was kind of trying to create, something yeah. that kept on existing but also grew and it would go Maybe on once towards... every ten years so it sort of passes to each generation gets one. Yeah, and it would come back with new pieces and segments every time and it, I mean that could have been a pretty interesting side thing for Disney to be to have had and been doing and I guess they kind of did it in a cheaper poppy way later but for the next ten years but but yeah, I mean that would have been interesting but yeah yeah. That's said um, interesting again, I'm sorry. <laughs> I find it interesting that they were all upset about the possibility of alienating creationists, yet they had to be told to take Sunflower out. Uh, 
Yeah, this is another one. We'll, we'll talk about it briefly because Disney dealt with this one themselves. Um, uh, there was a, a character called Sunflower in the Centaur section during the Pastoral Symphony who was an obviously uh, black, obviously exaggeratedly uh, racially featured character uh, who was a serving maid to the white-ass girls and uh, her name was Sunflower, and she didn't really get to play with the rest of them. Although she was sort of in on it, but she was, you know, there was a, there was a general cast, and she was below that cast. Although, interestingly, you pointed out, well, how come those zebra girls are allowed in it? But if you look at the two side by side in terms of the zebra girls with... The um, context is entirely with different. Bacchus. You showed me the picture of Sunflower, and I was like, oh, that's but, why. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, but yeah. that's it. They 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 very carefully and delicately reframed the film because they, you know, it was brought to their attention in later years, and they were like, yeah, you know what, that's absolutely right. Let's just and and cut out sunflower, and you can see that sequence elsewhere, and you can read about it, and it was something that they had addressed. So um, it was delicately handled in a way that it wasn't revisionist history, and let us. Let us never speak of sunflower again. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It, it's when when you're dealing with something like that. I think it is. Uh, it's positive that they can remove it from the medium and remove it from the entertainment context, yet not try to scrub it from history and say let's just pretend that never happened. In other more choppy cuts in between that time, um, she was it simply they cut the bits with her on screen because they didn't have the finesse to be able to reframe it. So it would basically jump in the music and it was really patchy. So uh, I'm, I'm very glad they were able to do that in an elegant way later. But it's one of the, the signs that at the time they just didn't know that this was going to be something that would really be straightforward uh, insulting to people at the time and moving forwards yeah it's and there's lots of little bit like it's just not not an awareness which obviously yeah. it's which characterizes the time like they're all it was the same year on. as racist duck yeah and i mean i mean even still within fantasia you kind of have some sort of visually stereotypy sort of characterizations of mushrooms or other flowers in the uh like kind of little very russian <laughs> flower is a bunch of very Chinese uh, like kind of Asian stereotype yeah, bowing the mushrooms. mushrooms. Uh, yeah, like it's it's or like another thing that my wife Carrie pointed out even in the um, uh, even in the uh, Greek mythology section that uh, I'd never noticed before. There was just a small subtle thing, and I mean it doesn't necessarily have to be read this way, but just of all the little centaurs that get together, it's always ones of the same color that like are like with light yep, yep. I'm yeah absolutely yeah no we noticed the pink that one's too. got to be with the pink one the orange one's got to be with the orange one and there's a blue one on the on his own and he's sad well luckily there's a blue girl for you yeah that was their yeah, opportunity which... to have sunflower you know actually yeah maybe which... he finds something he sees sunflower and goes well she's great yeah but but, but it's you, just you know it's they get a as with many white of these blue girl <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. As with many of these early Disney films, you will see almost in every single one just some small little. I wish that wasn't in there. <laughs> I, bet, I bet they. I bet they do too. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. 
I wish I was more familiar with ex- with other films of this era so I could know like what kind of how they compare and like uh, if some of the things to do with kind of the pacing and the way that these stories are told here was just reminiscent of how other films were at the time too or if it was a particular way that Disney was telling stories at this time. Well, look at the uh, the 1937 in film, the top 16 films. Number one, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Saratoga, never heard of it. Starring Clark Gable and Gene Harlow. That was the second highest grossing film of, of 1937. 100 Men and a Girl, seen a film like that. Topper, Wee Willy Winky, Stella Dallas, In Old Chicago, The Prince and the Pauper, The Good Earth, The Life of Amelia Zola, Lost Horizon, Dead End, The Hurricane, Heidi... Personal, that's the Shirley Temple one. That's the only one I've heard of these. Personal Property yeah. and Conquest. So, really, we're talking about films that have now disappeared in terms of relevance. Stella Dallas. Yeah. I've never heard anybody mention the film Stella Dallas in my entire life. The sixth highest grossing film of 1937, starring wow. Barbara Stanwyck. Bear in mind, though, you got not too long after this, Gone with the Wind. Yeah, yeah. And that contained deliberate portrayal of people of colour and that was not what you would call wildly sympathetic. But flip it, for 1940, Pinocchio was the 28th highest grossing film. Wow. And what came before it? Boomtown, Northwest Mountain Police, The Great Dictator. Okay, so that was Charlie Chaplin. The Philadelphia okay. Story. Okay, so that's Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. <laughs> the Grapes of Wrath. Okay, so The Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> but you see, now we're into the ones that, that we was, actually remember. That was Re- a good year. Rebecca. Okay, so Lawrence Olivia. Strike Up the Band, Northwest Passes, The Fighting 69th, The Seahawk, Tim Pan Alley, Santa Fe Trail, Andy Hardy Beats, Debutante, Kitty Foyle, My Favourite Wife, Virginia City, Road to Singapore. No one's ever mentioned Road to Singapore to me. I Love You Again, All This in Heaven Too. And Comrade X. Okay, but a couple of those were kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> but not as important as Pinocchio, probably. Some of them you could make an argument for, for sure, but yeah. yeah. So to finish off Fantasia, and I can't believe we haven't mentioned these properly yet, but The Sorcerer's Apprentice, The Dance of the Hours, and Night on Bald Mountain, arguably the three best. Let's do uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice first. Iconic. It'd be a good word to describe it. And probably the most coherent... Uh, Narrative-driven. Most dir- yeah, narrative-driven piece of the whole bit. It's, it's a little short film... Yeah, with, it's, it's the most relatable as well. Yeah. You got, you know, everyone's been a kid, and Bicky is basically in the role of a kid who has dreams of being a great big sorcerer. And like we've mentioned before, it brought Mickey Mouse back to the fore with a new redesign and in a big yeah, way. Yeah. And also, I suppose it, it might have um, the most catchy, memorable music as well. I mean, you could, you could play any other piece of music, possibly aside from Bald Mountain, um, and. The average person around the world, you say, was this in Fantasia? They go, I think so. But are you playing The Sorcerer's <laughs> Apprentice? Yep. Straight yeah, away. for sure. And and it, it's also telling that the iconic imagery, the, the thing that'll be on the cover art of most Fantasia things will be Mickey and that Sorcerer's Apprentice get up on yeah. top of the mountain, orchestrating the stars and the waves. Yeah. Which, that that is iconic Fantasia if there is an image. Absolutely. And that wizards come back in a lot of little sideways too. Like, uh, it's, he's in the Fantasia video game that just came out. He's also in Kingdom Hearts pretty frequently. I think they've retroactively named him Yen Sid, which is oh, cute. Wow. 
Disney backwards. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I got that. Sharon's good with words. <laughs> Me? <laughs> Not so good with the words. Um, <laughs> so, like, he opposes Disney at all corners. Apparently. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Dance of the Hours is the one with the uh, the creepy crocodiles and the... Um, I think it's sort of... It's made up for by the fact that the uh, hippopotamus is well up for it. In that, you know, she's... What? Well, no, what? Seriously, because uh, he chases her, but she likes being chased, so that's okay. Is that okay? They are a bit. Yeah, they are a bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's 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 uh, it's got a great kind of sprightly feel to it, and there's also something extremely visually appealing about a, and and this kind of makes up for the whole chasing back and forth and the slightly more creepy undertones. The the coordinated ballet of a crocodile trying to keep a hippopotamus who's being very dainty aloft. There's some great kind of working with uh, obvious visual mass there. I, I think the, the greatest point of humour for me is probably the tutus because they're mm. just so yeah. tiny. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's the point? You may as well just up come in right under the, the arms. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, there's a, undeniably, there's a, a slight uh, air of like you know. As soon as the uh, um, is it the flamingos that sort of like start this one off, or I forget. Uh, I think. No, hang on, they're not flamingos. Ostriches, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the ostriches started it off. At one point, there's elephants that eventually. Oh yeah, ostriches and elephants started off, and then uh, kind of after they have their whole bit, there's I, is there a great wind that blows them away, and then suddenly there's hippopotamuses and crocodiles. Yes. Uh, to be Not honest, folks, we, we've come back to this film after nearly a year, and we haven't seen it since. <laughs> Suffice it to say, not quite as narrative-driven as Sorcerer's Apprentice. Indeed, yeah. Uh, but Night on Bald Mountain has some incredibly evocative imagery, uh, an incredible piece of music for a star. I mean, this is this one will kind of stick with you, and uh, the uh, unabashed. Um, juxtaposition of, of the, that, that sort of uh, devilish imagery of hell from the pit and the eerie uh, visual effects they use for the sort of the floating skeletons um, and then the sort of the, the even though as you said earlier Dan is uh, it's, it's, it's quite but boring the <laughs> the, the Ave Maria <laughs> section um, it's very peaceful and it's kind of the, the palate cleanser you need after the, the chaos of Bald Mountain it is a lovely, serene way to end this big, long journey that the film has been, even, too. Just a nice, slow bit. But if you are sitting there, and especially in a theater, as a nice kind of uh, way to bring the energy down after that big, bald mountain piece, definitely. If you're just sitting kind of on the couch watching, and you're two hours in and watching the long, excruciating to create, but also very slow, samey shot panning across the field yeah, with yeah. Avi Maria, then yeah, you're ready for it to be done. Yeah. But uh, is it Chernobyl, the uh, the name of the, 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 the yes. devil in this? Yeah, yeah that's him. That's, uh, again, another iconic character. Yeah, some lovely animation on him just feeling very... Hmm. Especially this early on in Disney. We're going to get to Disney films where just uh, the anatomy of human characters feeling like... Uh, feeling the musculature and the weight and the form of the human body is something that is just taken for granted it's it's in every film and every shot but especially in this film with the dramatic underlighting and everything else there is a level of craft and art and artistry to Chernabog at this particular character mm-hmm. that is 
and the ha- and the hand work as well, which is really hard to do as an animator. Hands are really <laughs> complex. That is just exceptionally well made. It's very beautiful. And actually, now that I think about it, one of my favorite moments in the entire because most of Fantasia was a snooze fest for me, but one of my favorite moments is uh, when Bald Mountain comes to a close, and it takes a while because basically the the clock um, chimes, and then uh, Chernobog is uh, it does the Nosferatu kind of ah, it is dawn now we must go back to our pit, um, and there's that just very slow kind of receding of the shadows as the, uh, the the bell carries on tolling and it's, it's a very kind of somber but peaceful resignation and, and re- restoring of the balance before the ave maria starts up that's it's a i i, I like this the feel of this moment it's um come to think of it i do too now that you yeah. mentioned it and like yeah. give it words that that is a really nice little uh I can't think of a better word. You, Addressing you of the uh, the midpoint of the pendulum swing. Yeah, it's the it's the nice, easy, like soft. It's there's a softness to the transition after mm. after such a harsh and loud and frightening mm. piece. Are we going to end on a piece? Is that going to be the last word in Fantasia? There you have it, folks. <laughs> long pause and then peace peace <laughs> well, it, it, you, peace. you've ended it too, you've concluded it too well look you can't end on peace unless you first say I'm about this bitch <laughs> <laughs> drops mic hang on what Sharon's got more it does capture that feeling of the hour before dawn or the hour yeah. before uh, nightfall very well that sort of bridge moment mm. when not necessarily just that bad things are starting to draw back, but just the idea that things are wrapping to a close, but everything kind of has to come to a settled yeah. point before the, the good and the light can come back in again. Yeah. 